to the very last episode of the Australian Jazz and Group podcast for 2020. Rest assured, we will be back in 2021 for another season of the Australian Jazz and Group podcast. What a crazy year 2020 has proved to be. And it's been so great to be able to bring some new music to the ears of those that have been home in lockdown or wherever they've been throughout the earth. And today is no exception. Today we have a really interesting discussion with bassist and composer Craig Strain, who's based in Melbourne and is also the leader of funk outfit Pickpocket. Now you may recall we've played a couple of tracks from Pickpocket in previous episodes. And today we're showcasing their new recording, which is coming out on December 18, 2020. He'll be talking to us about how he got this band together and also how he's able to put this music together, his process of writing, and then also how he'll be getting this music out into the streets so people can listen to it. But first of all, we have a track from Brisbane-based trio Nimble. Now, you may recall we played one of their tracks in the very first episode, and this is a, a recording called From All Sides, and this track is entitled Earthen Vessel. It features Sophie Min on piano, Lachlan Hawkins on drums, myself on bass. So enjoy, and then we'll get into our interview. Thank you. 
So that was Nimble from their album From All Sides, released in 2018. Well, we've now come to our interview with bassist and composer Craig Strain. And as we said earlier, he's releasing with his band Pickpocket a new recording on December 18, 2020. So to introduce us to Craig's music and the album. Let's have a listen to a track off that called Boot Stomp and then we'll welcome Craig to the Australian Jazz and Groove podcast.
Well, Craig Strain, welcome to the Australian Jazz and Guru podcast. Great to have you along. It's great to be here, David. Thanks for asking me. No worries. And you're a bass player, electric bass player living in Melbourne, but by your accent, we can tell you're from somewhere else. So could you just fill us in on your story as a bass player and how you landed in Melbourne? Oh, geez. How long do we have? Um, not too long, but <laughs> give us the condensed right, okay, story. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. So obviously I'm not from around these parts, but um, I grew up in a small town called Kilsyth, which is about 20 minutes outside Glasgow. And there's actually a, a Kilsyth in the suburbs of Melbourne, which I was surprised to discover yeah, cool. when I moved here. Yeah. But um, yeah, I started playing piano when I was in primary school. My mum sang and played piano and uh, and I was just kind of always drawn to that and I pestered her for lessons. And then, so I think I started learning when I was about eight at, eight, at piano and I did about, f- I did about four years of um, the Royal Associated Board of Music examinations which right. scared the <laughs> life out of me yep you know you'd you'd have all your piano lessons at home and it'd be all fine and then you go to this big conservatoire and have to wait in a hall and then go in and play scales and stuff and get judged on it and that that um that didn't agree with me i didn't enjoy that uh critical <laughs> eye over my my music yeah so i've um but i've got an older brother who's seven years older than me so he got into playing guitar okay Round about when I was maybe, uh, you know, 10, 12 kind of thing. Mm. He was writing his guitar. So I was drawn to that because that was much more in line with the music that I wanted to to check out. Um, but of course, because he played guitar, I wasn't allowed to play guitar. That's right. <laughs> um, but he had, a, he had a bass kicking around. One of his friends had loaned him a bass. So when he wasn't there, obviously, I, uh, I had, had a little go in the bass and I was like, yeah, this this is pretty cool. I could get I yeah. could get the hang of this. You know, I think an knocked out maybe um You Really Got Me or or something like that, some kink song to yep. begin with. Um Yeah, and um and so I just kinda of started out jamming with him. Uh and then my parents bought me a bass and started getting private lessons and then eventually went and studied uh, music at the University of Strathclyde in Glasgow. So I did a, okay. a four four year degree course, well three year degree course, four years with with honours there. Um, it was a course called Applied Music. So it was kind of um, general music industry stuff, tech stuff, performance stuff, uh, and in your final year you could kind of specialise in a stream. So I specialised in jazz because that was what gave me the most opportunity to perform. Yeah, right. Um, and so, yeah, I graduated there in 2004. Um, and I'd, I'd kind of playing in like an original pop rock band. We were kind of t- doing a bit of touring in Europe, you know, some record deals getting talked about. So that was kind of where my eggs were. They were in that basket. You know, I was going to be right, yeah. in, a, in a pop band and tour the world because it was, it was good fun. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, um, yeah, cool. Um, but like most things, you know, they, um, they kind of eventually fizzle out um, and I had to get a real job, as they say. So <laughs> that was that was kind of doing primary school music education um, and the kind of wedding band scene. And around that time, I also landed a gig in a recording studio. So right. uh, basically a, a rehearsal studio that had adapted and got a, a recording side of things happening as well. In Glasgow? So I got a... 
Um, just outside, yeah. So pretty much, yep. yep. Um, so I, I got the, I got a job there as the as the engineer, kind of house engineer, doing demos and all kinds of recording projects. So that was that was a great learning platform yeah. for me. I had done. I had started to do home recording when I was at uni. Um, for my for my honors project, I recorded my band's album. Um, so that was kind of my foray into that. And I've always been interested in recording and sound mm. production and stuff. So I'm working in the studio, doing the wedding band thing, um, some teaching. Uh, I did some cruise ship work as well. Which All was, right, which was which was awesome. <laughs> You'd have some stories. <laughs> Uh yep, maybe for another podcast. Yeah, no, no. Right. <laughs> yeah, no. The 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 cruise ship thing was was a real um, education for me in terms of being a pro musician. Okay, because you know, coming coming from where I was in Scotland and the work that I was doing, it was good. But I wasn't I wasn't in amongst high quality musicians night in night out, having yep. to perform at a certain level. And I was lucky that the the band that I joined on on my first on my first couple of contracts were really you know they were um really good musicians because they were it was royal caribbean so they were the uh the flagship ships at the time the largest ones in the world so they kind of had a good band and i was lucky enough to get plonked and my reading wasn't my reading wasn't up to scratch but by the end of it i could i could get there kind of thing yeah so that kind of kicked my ass reading wise and you know made, made some good friends so about the world um played some music and then um around about 2009 2010 i met my i met my current partner ali while i was living in um scotland and we lived together in scotland for a bit and then we moved to melbourne in 2012 for the first time just on a on a temporary um you know working holiday visa yep and that was kind of where I first got plugged into the scene here. Um, yeah, right. And I was really, really impressed and and really uh, accepted quite early on, which was amazing. Um, well, I wanted to talk yeah. to you about that because that's that's a hard thing to make. A, it's, it's hard enough to move from, say, interstate, but to move from another country, I can imagine that would have been daunting to do that. It was and it, and it wasn't. There's something about having a clean slate that um is a little bit empowering you know yeah. um you could just rock up and go hey i've just moved here and my bass player and people go cool well yeah, you know yeah. if i need you i'll give you a call there was no um there's no baggage yeah <laughs> yet yeah yeah so 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 that was good um uh i made good friends with uh, uh pat farrell our mutual yep. friend he yep. helped me out with some some depth gigs and showed me around the scene and stuff like that and so I was here for about a year and a half, and then we moved to Canada for a little bit, um, and I did some playing over there, and then we decided to kind of move here permanently in 2014. Right. So I've been here, uh, be coming up seven years in, in January, yeah. Yeah, right. Oh, fantastic. So how did that um, initial sort of you know, exposure to the piano really help you take on the bass? Because obviously you're talking about a classical approach where everything is is very critical and but then you've drawn to the bass but can you make some parallels between that early grounding to playing the bass well i think uh, piano is is the is king piano is the king of the instruments you know yeah. um you can you, it's, it encompasses it, it all 
you know, you get treble, chorus, bass, clef, melody, harmony, rhythm. Yep. So it was good in just giving me that broad musical understanding of how um, how two things sound together, you know, a bass note and a melody note and yep. how that works. And obviously reading, my reading wasn't great, but I, I knew how to read. Yeah. Um, and it was also where I first started to kind of experiment with little compositions. You know, I would often spend more time just exploring and coming up with little etudes, I guess, um, mm. than working on what I should have been working on for my lessons. So that was kind of my piano world in terms of how that crosses over to the bass. I guess it's just an awareness of how um, bass can work in, in the context of, of harmony. Yeah, yeah. So that has that really informed you from a compositional point of view or have you made a definite sort of deliberate foray into composition or is that just sort of an extension of those early times playing the piano and mucking around with notes and yeah um i think the maybe actually think you know listening back to my compositions or analyzing them there's there's a definite influence not maybe not so much from the piano but um but from the church, from from old traditional hymns, you okay. know that that which which are obviously played on the organ or on the piano and stuff, and how they have that um, singable melody, obviously. But there's yep. always a there's always a beautiful point of tension at some point in the song, and you know just just um, I was I, I guess what I strive for is that simplicity. But when you dig deeper, there's a there's a you know, a depth to it that that you can explore. Yeah. Um, and so so the composition thing, yeah, I've all, always been into it. You know, when I was talking about the pop rock band, um, I was kind of heavily involved in not so much the initial ideas, but definitely the, the arranging and um, lots of stylistic elements and stuff. Uh, but I was always writing stuff at home that was, you know, ranged from... Um, dark synth techno stuff to slap bass extravaganza just you know just because I could because I had the computer and you could just pull up a drum loop and go hey this works with this you know so I guess maybe a lot of it wasn't necessarily composition but just exploring Um, and so the when I started to kind of really take it seriously was when I was in, actually when I was in Canada. So when I, when I was in Melbourne the first time in 2012, that was when I first started Pickpocket. Okay. Um, but it was predominantly a cover band. We were doing kind of standard funky fusion um, repertoire. And there was one one original song in there that I wrote. And then when I, when I went to Vancouver, I was like, hey, that was pretty cool having my own band. Um, and by that point I had built up a folder of musical ideas you know funky bass riff 16 you know (laughs) you know how you name things on your computer so i've had like folders and eventually i started to whittle it down to to ideas that i kept coming back to and thought there's something in this be it a chord sequence or a melody or a groove and so it was when i was in canada um and i had some visa issues so i I had about three or four months where i was just going to hold up waiting to find out what was going what was happening and I used that time to to really work on essentially what would become the basis of Pickpocket's first album. Um, so it was kind of a combination of ideas from, 
you know, six, seven years worth of ideas. You know, they say you've got your whole your whole life to write your first album. I remember when I listened to that first album, like you could sense a real depth there that I assume was created over time. How do they differ for those that say that come to you quite quickly? Are they stronger or not? I think I think you know it's always there's a bit of both, you know. Yeah. Um, sometimes the ones that you you slave over are, just don't happen. Yeah. But um, it, one thing I found is trying not to force stuff. You know, being able to step back and think, what does it need as opposed to what do I what do I want it to have? Yeah. Um, and those tend to be the ones that, that work out best. You know. Um as opposed to coming in with a preconceived idea of, all right, I want to write a song like this. Sometimes like that'll happen in, in the micro sense of the word where, you know, I'll maybe have a groove and, and a chord sequence. And write, or maybe I want to have a melody that's kind of D'Angelo-esque or I want this bass line to have a Prince feel to it. Yep. But that's kind of just more single elements as opposed to a broader composition, compositional approach. Yeah, so that's more like the seed that you would sort of draw an inspiration from and then from there it just grows into something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and just being critical, you know, just going and listening and going, is this worth it? Is it, is it any good, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I think yeah. that's, that's, that was the, um, it's the benefit of, of having everything stored kind of digitally and easily accessible is that I could just build up folders of, of ideas and, and listen back to it and, you know that's still my process of going. Um, what what am I what 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 am I drawn to? What keeps yep. speaking to me? And and I think if if you know my litmus test is if I want to listen to it a lot, then hopefully other people will.
So having this band Pickpocket as a set group for your music, do you find that when you write with them in mind and you take a tune to them, having the same players helps you to develop the tunes much better? Like, do you get more input out of these guys than if you were to just say, bring in some freelance guys reading the charts? Absolutely. And it's definitely grown over time. Um, you know, like the first album was is pretty much all my writing. Right. And then the second one, Permutations, there's more collaboration. And then on this one again, um, I've kind of delegated more. Okay. Um, but it, it's it's just that, you know, when I first started, it was like I put the band together. So I've always felt like I have a responsibility to provide for it, if you yeah. know what I mean. It wasn't something that grew organically. You know, I yeah. kind of specifically asked everybody, do you want to play some music with me? And stupidly, they all said yes. <laughs> <laughs> but ha- having having the same guys is 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 really good because I I can either be really detailed with what I want somebody to do, or I can leave it blank and know that you know they can play to their strengths and come up with something better for whatever the situation is. Um, but it's you know, and then all all the playing live together. Um, it's difficult with a with a band of that size to I find anyway to kind of coordinate especially from the back you know when I'm so busy kind of playing and trying to make stuff happen but I'm also like directing um so that idea of okay what 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 are the band's strengths you know and how can I play to that in terms of composing you know what what do we sound best at doing and what are we not so hot at so over time, I've, I've figured those things out as well, but it's it's always changing. Yeah, I just it reminded me of like trying to run a band. Have you found that you've got the balance now between being able to focus on being a member of the band, but then also sort of having to have an eye on I'm kind of leading this band at the same time? How have you come to terms with that? Um, it kind of depends on how well rehearsed we are. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so if people have you, practiced their parts too. <laughs> if people have so usually we were not not that well rehearsed. <laughs> right. Um and usually my charts aren't great. <laughs> um I'm 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 you know, I'm not a great chart writer. So I get help from um Alex in in the horn section. He's kind of my my go-to guy for for all the horn stuff. Either I can say here here's the melody, can you flesh it out, or can you right. come up with a part for this? But yeah, being being a member and directing is really hard. You know, I mean, somebody that comes to mind that does it great is Michael League. You never feel like he's yep. not giving it all, but yet he's completely tuned into everything that's going on and able to direct that whole ensemble. So yeah, I think it's ultimately comes down to trust you know and having the same people in the band all the time builds that level of trust where um you know i can say you solo here or let's extend it around and everybody's okay with it kind of thing yeah cool so these are the guys you met back in 2012 has the lineup changed much since 2012 yeah so this is essentially pickpocket version 2.5 or I guess okay. <laughs> you're not quite uh, up the, to the Apple update yet. <laughs> no, <laughs> <Number>. <laughs> um, the first version. So remaining founding members from version one would be uh, myself, Neil Boland on guitar and Alex Hyroid. 
So we've been we've been there since year dot. And then I obviously I moved away. And then when I came back, I started it again. Um, I couldn't get the same drummer, a great drummer called Sam Leskovic. Um, he he wasn't available, and I wanted to kind of expand it and have a larger ensemble. Originally, we had two guitar players. Okay. Um, but I I really wanted keys. I wanted synths and, and stuff in it. So um, I found Andy Boyle on keys, um, and we did have a second guitar player for for quite a while. Um, a good friend called Jason Jason Liakos, who's friends with Neil. Um, and then Alex, um, I kind of took his advice on who else to get for the horn section. Um, so we kind of kind of built it up by recommendations and people that I met. And then um, when we were recording Sojourn, um, I got Phil Bonotto to do some percussion overdubs. And then come the second album, I was like, hey, do you want to like be in the band? And he said yes. So oh, cool. That was it was pretty awesome. So yeah, um, it's it's definitely grown. Do you, yeah, cool. So do you have plans? It's a quite a big ensemble, and particularly in this day and age of funding and and things like that, how do you how do you then manage a band on that level, getting gigs, and it must be tough. Yeah, I mean, and also in terms of you know applying for grants and funding and stuff, because I'm not from here. Um, it's you know. I, it usually goes to people from here first, which is fair enough. Um, But I essentially, I try and bankroll everything um, for a while, depending on what the gig is, you know, if it's like a, if it's a festival gig that pays good, then everybody gets a decent cut. Um, uh, Lots of the club gigs, you know, if we were to split the, Split the the takings up eight ways, and you know people going home with twenty three dollars and eighty four cents. So yeah. I was like, I'm happy to do that, but the guys were like, Look, why don't we just put it in the kitty, and when we need to use it for recording or or whatever, we'll do that. So that was kind of how this album was was funded was primarily kitty money from essentially playing Paris Cat. <laughs> oh yeah, every yeah, cool. every couple of months, Paris Cat is our musical home, um, so we play there. And and the odd kind of um, local festival, yep. Some of those fees, so yeah. Um, but like rehearsals and stuff, I, I I don't want the guys to have to to pay for anything when it's essentially my music. We are, yeah. you know, it's that it's that fine line between we are a band, but the play, uh, you know, I'm asking them to play stuff that I've written predominantly. Yeah, it must be nice to have guys though that that are that are in it for the music because they wouldn't say let's put the money in the kitty if they were if they didn't have that sort of focus or that commitment to the band that must be quite refreshing yeah it's it's um you know uh i'm so lucky to have to have this band and all these guys that that want to play this niche you know instrumental funk fusion whatever you want to call it style music so that was a that was a big kind of um, thumbs up in terms of all right. I guess everybody's on board, but it must mean that you must. They must love your music, which is which is cool too. Yeah, or you know, or the or the you know the free beer occasionally <laughs> that I bring to rehearsal. <laughs> yeah, you know, e- easily pleased. But it's I, I've kind of really tried to to not have it a band where it's kind of depping in and out. You know, yep. mainly because. 
uh, a couple of reasons. One is that I think we've built up a sound that is unique to this collection of players, and that's why we get these gigs, essentially. Secondly, um, the charts aren't great. It's not like I could just give them the book and go, all right, we're playing this song and this song, and they could just read it down start to finish. Um, And plus, things have evolved from when they were recorded to how we do them live as well. So it would essentially mean a lot of rehearsal to get a dep up. And we've done it a couple of times. You know, we've had some sax deps. Um, we've had a keys dep. We had Lewis Moody dep on keys for us once. Um, and so it's it's doable, but it's it's never really the... Um, it's never presented in the way that I would want it to be presented. And that's no slight on, on any of the guys that have sat in with us. It's just that it's it's just a unique thing to this collection of players. You know, not being hidden behind the music stand is is really important. Um, you know, to use Snarky Puppy as another example. I mean, the the, exactly. way, the yeah. complexity of that material that they internalize so fast and perform at such a high level. That's one of the most incredible things for me about that band. Um, not that we're anywhere near that level, but you know, it's like it it enables a more direct connection with the audience. Definitely, I think if they if they know that it's not just being regurgitated from the page. It, you know, if there's brand new material, then for sure guys will have charts on stage and I'm totally fine with that. Um, but usually, yeah, the rhythm section um, will have stuff down pat after after a gig or two. And it, yeah, and it means that we can, that we are more free to play as well. You know, if your head's not in the page, it's much easier for me to direct. Yeah, um, if, if everybody's kind of paying attention, and you notice it with the songs, the songs that we know that we've been playing since, like Sojourn, um, uh, like a, a track like Junk Trunk, we never really play it the same way twice, and it's kind of always we're relaxed and things can happen and and it's fun. But you know, some of the newer material that's maybe a little bit more orchestrated or we haven't played that much, um, there's not all, there's not as much room for. Um, expanding on it because it's like okay let's just try and get it right
So you've you've delved into having a vocalist. Is this uh, a new thing for the band, or did you write the lyrics as well? How did this happen? Yeah. So um, on the on the new album, there's a track called "Love Again," which um, features vocal talents of my good friend Sam Jewell, who's uh, based in Sydney, and he's been a solo solo artist and in and out of bands for a while up there and in London. So, and we actually met on a cruise ship, not like Love Boat or anything like that, but (laughs) 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 Um, I I had a cruise ship gig um, maybe five years ago or five, six years ago, something like that. And he was the uh, acoustic uh, guitar player guy. Uh, He was part of a duo, him and this guy, Jake. And yeah, and we just kind of, you know, hit it off hanging out and stuff and then um he asked me up to sydney to do some gigs with him um so we did some gigs up there yeah and we just kind of he, he really liked pickpocket and he was he was always strangely complimentary about it and stuff so he he loves funk and he loves prince and all that kind of stuff and so i was up there for some gigs um and we, like like i was saying i had this little folder of ideas and grooves and I, I sent some to Sam I was like what do you think of these and he picked one out and it's like this could be this could be something so we sat down in his apartment in um Byron Bay uh sorry Bondi uh over Bondi and um yeah and, and we kind of nutted out the lyrics in, a, in an afternoon just yeah. kind of he just you know had his strumming it on the guitar and we're like all right what's the what's the vibe so it's kind of like um one of those things where being an instrumental fusion band, the amount of times people come up to you and go, hey, you guys are great. You ever think about getting a singer? Yeah. <laughs> and I know where they're coming from, but at the same time, it kind of hurts. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's it like, do you, would it, do you think it would be better if we had a singer? Like, why Why are you saying that? You know, do, mm. if, you, if you just prefer music that's got a vocalist, that's fine. But my issue has always been, I predominantly listen to music that is instrumental, you know, yep. or it's not the vocal at the front. It's not to say I, I don't listen to it, but I'm drawn to kind of instrumental funky fusion stuff. So mm. when I write, that's what I write. E- even though my melodies, I do, I, I approach them from a, a vocalistic um, standpoint. You know, I always try and sing a melody to get it out there. Yep. So... You know, and some of the guys in the band as well have been like, "Hey, we should collaborate with this vocalist." And I didn't, I didn't want it to be a thing where it was like just getting somebody on board just because. You know, I'll write a funky backing and we'll do like a kind of party song, or you know, I didn't want it to be forced. And so, because I had built up a friendship with Sam, and he'd taken an interest in my music, and we kind of wrote it together. It, I was like, well, this. You know, and we'd been kind of talking about maybe doing our own little project, whatever that might be. But I thought, you know, this 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 could be a pickpocket song if it feels right. i 
Maybe I can give you my number. So you're releasing Refraction on December 18, 2020. What do you have planned uh, releasing it during this current climate, this pandemic climate? How are you going to get it out there into the ears of people? Well, now that gigs are starting to roll again, I see Paris Cat are, um, are, are booking booking shows so and that's kind of been our spiritual home that's where we've that's where we've uh, launched our last album um and they're good to us and we try and be good to them so potentially i might get back in touch with liz and see if we can maybe do a show in the new year um and as for the album launch it'll just be yeah just the uh, the usual online barrage of (laughs) social media (laughs) posts and begging people to like and subscribe and share and pre-save and download and you know just trying to be heard above the rabble really um and at some point i'll probably i guess maybe once we're kind of back gigging relatively regularly i'll probably look at maybe getting some hard copies done but i mean i've still got boxes of sojourn and (laughs) permutation cds but you know why not complete the collection with uh with a third hard copy Well, thanks so much, Craig, for stopping by and talking about your musical life here in Australia now and also the new recording, Refraction, from your band Pickpocket, which is coming out December 18, 2020. So all the best with the new release and it's great to see that live music is back in Melbourne and Australia and look forward to catching Pickpocket live, hopefully somewhere like Paris Cat or other venues soon in Melbourne. So thanks again, mate. Take care and we'll catch you soon. My pleasure, Dave. Really appreciate it.
So that was Refraction from Pickpocket's latest release coming out on Friday, December 18, 2020. And Pickpocket, as you could hear from that recording, are a very big band. And I'd like to just point out who these members are in the band. On drums, Matthias Edwards. On guitar, Neil Boland. On keys, Andrew Boyle. On trumpet, we have Miles Izo. We have on trumpet and tenor sax, Alex Halroyd. We have on baritone sax, Brett Evans. On percussion, Phil Bonotto. And special guests, as we heard, Sam Jewell on vocals on that track, Love Again. We also will hear Joel Senna on sax on the Bootstomp track and also Steve Allen on trumpet and James Bowers on trombone. Well, now we'd like to play for you a track from a very well-known artist here in Australia, Barney McCall. A lot of you would know Barney's work and he's prolific in his compositional work and putting out material all the time. And this is an album, personal favourite of mine, that he released or recorded, sorry, in June of 2014 called Muralbach and it features on this recording himself on piano, Julian Wilson on tenor saxophone, Stephen Magnuson on guitar, Jonathan Schwartz on bass, Simon Barker on drums, Mino Cinello on percussion and on some tracks also trombonist Shannon Barnett. Now this is a track, the very first track off this album, it's called Nectar Spur as we said, off his 2014 recording, Muralbark. So enjoy this from Barney McCall. Thank you. 
So that was a beautiful track from Barney McCall's album Murlbach. And as we said, that, al- that track was called Nectar Spur. Well, folks, we've come to the end of our last episode for 2020. And what a crazy year it has been. But it's been so nice to be able to share some positivity with you and showcase some of these amazing artists we have here in Australia that are continuing to compose and write beautiful music and record it despite the challenges that have faced them this year. If you would like to support these artists, as we've mentioned on each episode, go and buy their music. It's the best way that you can show your support. It ensures that they will continue to be able to produce and write more music for the future. And as we know, it really does bring us so much joy to hear the originality that come from all of these artists. A big thank you to all those artists that have taken the time this year in these first eight episodes to talk to us about how they compose their musical careers, what lies ahead for the future, and just how they approach music. It's been so insightful, and we really hope that you've also enjoyed getting to know these artists a little better. Thank you also to those that have downloaded the podcast and have spread the word. Please continue to do that. If you can leave a positive review on whatever platform you download it from, that would be fantastic. So what lies ahead? Well, 2021 proves to be a really exciting year of bringing new artists to the podcast. So many albums have been released or are being released in the very near future and we really look forward to showcasing them and hopefully picking the brains of the composers that have put this beautiful music together. So for the holiday season coming up, please stay safe, enjoy your holiday. Thank you again for joining us and we look forward to seeing you again in 2021. Bye for now. Thank you.